The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Please turn your attention to God's Word from uh, John chapter 4. I'll start reading at verse 5. John 4, beginning at verse 5. And Jesus had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place that people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. The Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please send in rich abundance your Holy Spirit so that we may understand these words. Believe them, embrace them, and live them out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Very, very familiar story. The woman at the well. Many of you have heard it many, many times before. Uh, One of my most joyous experiences in Malawi has been going to well projects uh, for a little celebration. 
And the women, it's always women, primarily, maybe a village chief, but almost all women. And they greet us with a welcome song where they're singing, we welcome you, we welcome you, you're most welcome here. And uh, it's just a joyous occasion. But it's always women at the well because women in Malawi do the heavy lifting literally. Uh, And this last time I got to see how they do it. But they have these big plastic tubs and they they get a a fellow village woman to help them. and, And sort of together they put this enormous tub of water on their heads and they walk at home. Sometimes hands free. Pretty amazing to watch women at the well. Have you noticed that many of the stories of the Bible don't tell us why they're there or what we're to get from them, which sometimes leaves us preachers with a a wide range of things to talk about? But John, at the end of his gospel, tells us why all the stories in his gospel are there. He said, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life in his name. So what I want to do is touch on four things that we see together about Jesus in the text because the point of the story is about Christ, that we could see him, perceive him, believe in him, and have life in his name. Those four things are in your outline. Uh, They are the seeking Christ, the refreshing Christ, the gentle Christ, and the truthful Christ. Notice with me first the seeking Christ. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Great story. So many aspects of the story. One is, we see that the Christ, the Word who became flesh, is a human being. He's really human. He's, he's been on a journey. The sixth hour is 12 noon. It's, it, it may be hot. He's tired. He's been walking. He's thirsty. He's at a well and has nothing with which to draw water. So he's thirsty. And a woman comes up, and she is a Samaritan. Now, many of you know the whole Jewish-Samaritan thing, but for those who don't, just a reminder, who the Samaritans were. They were a racially diverse group of people. So they were part Jewish, and then they were part uh, these people that the conquerors had resettled the northern kingdom with. So they were racially uh, impure, so Jews didn't like them for racial reasons, but also spiritual reasons, because they had only five books of the Bible, the first ones, And they worshiped in the wrong place. There was no provision in the law to go to any other place but Jerusalem. But they had their own place. They had their own mountain, their own holy place. So they were religiously compromised as well. Needless to say, Jews and Samaritans did not get along well with each other. And a Jewish man would have had great contempt for a Samaritan woman. So she comes. And he says, can you give me a drink? Just a normal thing, we would think, but not normal at all. (laughs) The Jewish men don't do that. They don't take water from a Samaritan woman. It just never happens. And she she seems to be a little off-put by him. You know, that's how I read her reaction. Her reaction is like, sure, whatever I can do to help. He's like, who do you think you are anyway? Like, really? You're going to ask me for water? And Jesus responds differently than she expected. She, he saw her as someone made in the image of God. He saw her as who she really was. And he starts drawing her into a conversation. I mean, he uses a metaphor. She doesn't get the metaphor. <laughs> you know, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for living water. He's seeking her out. 
I mean, she's off-put and he won't accept it. He won't accept her being off-put and racially offended by him. He evokes her curiosity. It reminds us of what he says in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Imagine if there's a biker bar somewhere here in the Roanoke area, um, you know, where motorcycle folk go to, to have adult beverages. Imagine a fella in a, in a very expensive suit walks into that place for, for an adult beverage. How's that go? <laughs> How's that conversation go? Uh, I, I imagine it goes something like, what are you doing here and you're not welcome here? And what do you do in the conversation at that point? Where do you go from there? Because obviously you knew there was going to be trouble. How do you draw people in? How do you say, you, I've got something to say that you all are going to want to hear? Christ is doing something wonderful here. He's fulfilling the Old Testament scripture about the wandered off people of God, the, the lost tribes. Here's someone that's a part of the lost people of Israel, but in the wider promises of God, it applies to every tribe. So much of human history is not about what's on the front page of uh, today's website, today's newspaper. It's about a promise God made to a guy named Abraham thousands of years ago. He said, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to bless every clan on earth through your offspring. And at the end of the Bible in Revelation 5, 9, I saw people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every language worshiping the Lamb of God. He's seeking and saving that which is lost. You know, we that have been around church and Christianity and the Bible for a long time, we read this story like we're on the Jesus side of the equation. You know, the Samaritans being the off-put lost people, and we're sort of the insiders. You don't read your Bible well if you do that. You're more like the Samaritan. In fact, she's closer to Jesus than you are if you're like me. And at this time in history, your ancestors were making Stonehenge or some other idolatrous thing, you know. You, no idea who the one true living God was. You know, read Ephesians. We were outsiders. We were strangers. We were aliens. We were the Gentiles, many of us. And we were brought into the family of God. We were made sons and daughters of the King. And I say that to you because now that we who are outside have been brought inside, how do we imitate Christ in bringing those who are outsiders into the kingdom of God? I am so thankful to get the news this morning that your church is going to be doing Christianity Explored. What a wonderful way to live out the spirit of this text of Jesus who is seeking and saving the lost. And I hope you'll pray about and think about who is my neighbor, who is my relative, who is my coworker who might be interested in learning enough about the real gospel to make an informed response. You know, many people respond negatively and they don't have the whole story. They don't have all the information. It's not our job to save anybody. That's Jesus' job. But we want to make sure they have enough information to reject him properly if they're going to do it. Or, God willing and miraculously, to receive him fully when the time comes. He's the seeking Christ. Secondly, he's the refreshing Christ. She says, who, who, who do you think you are? You know, this is Jacob's well. This is a historic well. Jacob drank from this well. Are you better than Jacob? Who do you think you are? You don't even have anything to draw this water with. 
How are you going to do that? How are you going to do this living water? And he continues the metaphor. He continues to draw her in with words she doesn't grasp, but we do. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She still doesn't get it, does she? He's, he keeps drawing her and drawing her and drawing her in. And it makes us think of what is said in the prophet Isaiah chapter 12. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The one who drinks this water will, will have a spring of life welling up in his soul. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For the one who comes to me, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. Do you know Christ is refreshing to those who come to him in faith, to those who come to him in repentance he is a spring of life. As Peter says, repent that times of refreshing might come from the Lord. Our souls can be and are for us a fountain of living waters in which the Christ himself refreshes us and refreshes our souls. I don't know everybody here. I don't know everyone's story, but I can imagine there's a few young people here and there could be somebody and believe me, it may not just be young people, it could be some adults, who have this thinking, the time is coming when the restraints will be off. The time is coming when mom and dad won't be able to control me anymore. The time is coming when my plan to get away from all the restraints of life, maybe it's an adult, mom or a dad, there's a time coming when I'm going to live it up. I'm going to really live it up. You know, I get told what to do. I get constrained. I... I I'm biding my time. <laughs> I'm waiting for my chance. I'm going to live like there's no tomorrow. I got to tell you, it's a tragic strategy. You think you're going to live. And what you can't see, what you don't understand, what you haven't grasped yet, is in Christ you really live. It's living it up to know him, to be loved by him, to be called by him. That's what it really means to live. And this other path you'll find is a broken cistern that doesn't have living water. You'll find yourself empty. You'll find yourself broken. You'll find that you've lost yourself by trying to find yourself. And if you lost yourself in him, you would find your true self, my friend. And I want you to know, young person who has this strategy, please never forget, there's always a way home. There's always a path back. There's always a place for the kid who goes off to the far country and thinks they were finding life, only to find themselves broken and empty and hungry. You will always be welcome home here here at the cross, here at the table, here with God's people. You can always come home. But I pray you'll never leave and that you'll find him and that he'll find you. My friend, 
demand more of your faith. Demand more of your faith. He said, you can, you can have rivers of living water. He said, the, one that I, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Imagine that you had the funds to buy a brand new car, which is harder than ever to, to find one on the lot, you know, with all the shortages. But you brought home a brand new car. You had so many expectations. You memorized the equipment list. And as you're driving it off the lot and as you're nearing home, it starts running rough. <laughs> it starts making that sound that us older folk remember from carburetor days. You know, it, it's just not running right. You've just put everything you have into this. You're making payments on this car you can't afford, and, and it won't even run right. What do you do? You take it right on back. You turn right on around. You say, I want another unit. Like, this one's coming back to you. Demand more. What's keeping you from the life that Christ has for you? I would encourage you to read Colossians 3 this week. Colossians 3, 1 through 14. Seek the things that are above where Christ is hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And then it looks at a whole bunch of things that need to be cast off, put to death, given no life. Now there's the colorful stuff that we like to talk about and point the finger at. And then there's the approved PCA sins like gossip and malice and slander that um, you can get away with. Jesus said, I, no, you know, through Paul, he's saying, if you want more of me, you've got to put those ones off too. And instead, what do you do? Put on the, the graces that Christ has for you, compassion, kindness, humility, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, all those beautiful things. I don't know what's in the way, but don't Settle for less than what is your birthright as a child of God. He's a refreshing Christ, but he's a gentle Christ. That's how I read this conversation. She still doesn't get it, right? She's still she's like, she's thinking like a Malawian who's thinking, not only am I going to get a well, I'm going to get one in my house. I'm going to get what's so rare in many parts of the world: water inside your actual house. Believe it or not, 100 years ago, that was pretty rare here <laughs> in America. Water in your actual house. I don't have to go here anymore. I'm not even going to feel thirst. Like, I want that. Go get your husband. Go call him. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, that is a very accurate statement. You've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. You have told the truth. It's hard to, to get into this, but I, I want you to use your imagination for a minute and to imagine what it would feel like to have a man who you didn't really like when the conversation started. Like, this is a Jewish man. He condemns me already. I don't want to have anything to do with him. He is now talking to you about your most personal, your most intimate, and your most shameful secrets. And he's doing it with bone-breaking gentleness. You see, she didn't run off. You know, if he had called her a name, if he had put on her some, uh, some colorful description that we might use of a woman like this, if he had done anything to put her off, surely she would have gotten her boyfriend to come beat him up or something. Like, whatever that culture was. Like, I'm out of here. But he's so gentle with her story. 
that she doesn't run away. She is known by another human being in a way she's never been known before. Her story is out there. We can speculate, but we better not about what that all meant in that culture. I don't know. I just know that she had a shameful past, and he talked about it right in front of her, eye to eye, person to person. And she didn't walk away. So this couldn't happen, but I want you to use your imagination a little bit to to get into this story, to feel what she felt, to experience what she experienced. Imagine we barred the doors and said, nobody's leaving. Jesus has appeared in the flesh. He is here. The elders have him in the back room. And no one's leaving. And everyone has a one-on-one with Jesus before the service is over. Every single one of us. Now, the first Sunday school reaction is, oh, good. Right? Oh, good. Jesus, I've got so many questions. I want to see him. I wonder what he looked like. What's he... But then there's the second reaction. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. He knows me. Not only does he know you, he knows things about you you don't understand. If you went to him for counseling, he could tell you the pieces of your story that have brought you to where you are. So suddenly, everyone's quiet. <laughs> We're all terrified. You know, you're starting to bargain in your head, right? You know, that missionary dude is here. I'm going to tell Jesus, I'm going to give more. I'm going to give more, Jesus. I know I'm a little selfish. Or you're going, I, I'm going to start reading my Bible every day, and, 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 and I'm going to bring my neighbor to Christianity Explored. I know I should be doing more. And you're just bargaining. You're, you're waiting for the conversation. Because he knows you. Now, you know what I imagine? I imagine he goes with the pastors first. <laughs> We're afraid too. And then he goes to the elders and the deacons. And, the, and how are people coming back? With, with joy. You will draw from the well of salvation. They start coming back and there's tears in their eyes and And unlike Presbyterians, there's joy in their worship. They're like, here's a man that told me everything I ever did. And he loves me. And he's healed me. And I'm whole in him. And I want to live a holy life now. Because he saw me as I really am. And he embraced me. And he looked me in the eye. And he said, Don, my brother, I love you. Go and sin no more. He really is that Jesus. I'm not just making that up. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. How do you see him? Do you see him that way? And how do you treat other sinners? Because he's gentle. Now, you notice being gentle doesn't mean silent. 
Being gentle doesn't mean, well, I'm never going to say anything about the sin they're struggling with. There's a way to be both. There's a way to be gentle and truthful. We'll talk about truth in just a minute. He's gentle and lowly, but he's not silent and not a pushover. Like, doesn't he press in on this woman in her sin? But so gentle. And let me ask you a hard question just to think about, meditate on, consider. If repentance is so beautiful, so refreshing, so joy-giving, why is it so rare? Now, I'm not talking about, man, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. I'm talking about genuine repentance. Where we know we've hurt someone. We know we've wronged someone. We know we didn't walk in love. And we've gone to Jesus. We're broken by it. We're humbled by it. And we go to that person. Not demanding forgiveness. But in genuine repentance. Why? I wonder. I wonder about it. Why is it so rare? Lastly, the truthful Christ. So, she asked a question, and I've never figured out if it's a deflection or a serious question. I, I, I used to think it was a deflection. Now I think it was a serious question. The, you know what the question is, right? You're a prophet. Let me ask you a religious question, <laughs> right? Because so many conversations that I've been blessed to have with people who aren't Christians, the first thing out is, well, what about all the people in Africa who've never heard of Jesus? To which I say, you mean where Christianity is exploding and the world is on fire for Jesus and we can't train pastors fast enough? That Africa? Because the place you're talking about is here. <laughs> People are, are dead in their sins and don't seem to know what Jesus is all about. No, no, no. I mean, what about all the hypocrites in the church? I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about all the hypocrites in your church. To which I say, you mean just like all the hypocrites in your country club, your men's club, your political party, uh, every human organization, hey, my friend, you're right. They're hypocrites in the church, and we need to repent. <laughs> we're called to repent. We need to own up to it. But don't think we're any different than every other place in the world you've ever been. Is it a deflection? Well, you, you do realize where she came from, right? She's, she's from a village in Samaria. Her mom and dad and her grandparents taught her the faith. The first five books of Moses, our mountains, the holy mountain. This is what she's known. She's getting ready to count the cost of discipleship, right? If I follow you and you're a Jew, if I give in to whatever it is you're saying, what's going to happen back home? Can you answer the question for me? Who's right? Who's right? And look what he does. He's gentle and truthful at the same time, isn't he? Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. There's hope. But what does he say? Salvation is from the Jews. Ooh, that's a truth bomb there, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's saying what we don't say here in our culture. Like, we, how would we handle her today? We'd say, you know, sweetie, whatever lifestyle you want to do, God loves you. He's for you. He accepts you. You want to have five husbands? You want to have no husband? Oh, Jesus loves you. It's all good. He doesn't do that. We want to say whatever truth speaks to you is your truth. It's truth. You're Samaritan. You only got five books. God loves you. He's for you. He's good. 
No, he doesn't say that. He says, on the one hand, salvation is from the Jews. It is the temple in Jerusalem. It is the temple that is getting ready to be torn down and rebuilt on the third day. And the day is coming when God will seek worshipers who worship him only in spirit and in truth. There's a whole sermon that we won't get to. Can we be honest with each other? Jesus is full of grace and truth. Remember in the first 18 verses, he said, Jesus has come to us. He's full of grace and truth. Can we admit to one another, we don't do grace and truth together very well? Do I get an amen? We don't do grace and truth together very well. Either we're truth Christians, we stand for the truth, who are often very graceless, that's kind of sick. Or we're grace Christians. Ah, Jesus loves us. And we're tempted to bend some of the rules so we can fit in. Jesus is full of grace and truth. You have his Holy Spirit. You can be full of grace and truth. Will you be honest with him this week in prayer and say, I am a truth Christian. I love the truth. I want to stand for the truth, but I am so graceless sometimes. Or I'm a grace Christian. and eh, Some of these things make me real uncomfortable that Christians talk about. But I need the truth. I need to see the world the way you made it, the way it is. Grace and truth. What a Christ. <laughs> These things are written that you may believe in him and that by believing you may have life in his name. What a Christ seeking and saving the lost, refreshing the soul of all who come to him, gentle and truthful. How worthy of our faith, love, worship, devotion. How easy is the cross we are called to bear to take up our cross daily and follow him? Does it cost me? It tastes like nothing when I see him as he is. How sufficient he is. Which of the four words grabs you for the coming week? Seeking, refreshing, gentle, or truthful? Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, thank you that you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, Father, please take your word and press it on the minds and hearts of your people all week long. May we read this story over and over again, just longing for your spirit to bring it to life in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.